everybody. Happy Saturday. Welcome into another edition of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name is Alex Reamer. It is episode number 134. Wow. Uh, you can find the show, of course, wherever you can find your favorite podcasts. We are part of the Outsports Podcast family on Apple, Spotify, Google. You know the drill by now. Download, listen, rate, subscribe. It's been a crazy week here in Boston. My full-time job covering Boston sports. Celtics coach Ime Udoka suspended for at least one year uh, for an inappropriate inter-office relationship. Uh, originally, it was reported this relationship was consensual, but now we have new reporting suggesting it maybe was not. NBA insider Shams Karania reported early Friday morning that uh, the woman said Ime Udoka made unwanted comments towards her and at a press conference Friday, the Celtics really didn't divulge much new information, but owner Wick Grosbeck confirmed that multiple violations of team guidelines were committed by Udoka. Uh, he said the year-long suspension, which is quite the punishment, was, quote, well-warranted. And uh, this is a really interesting story to me for a number of reasons. It combines so many factors. Uh, there's a lot of media angles to go about it, how the Celtics handled it. Uh, I think they originally handled it terribly. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA reporter, a controversial NBA insider at that, who often cares more about self-promotion than anything else, uh, tweeted out a breaking news graphic late Wednesday night, very ominous that Ime Udoka was facing a significant suspension, but then he didn't add any new information and then all day Thursday, the Celtics let that report sit out there and allowed the reputation of women across their organization just be dragged through the mud on social media. People posting pictures of women who work for the Celtics. Could this be the one? Could this be the one? Just absolutely horrible. And, you know, I think obviously this is a developing situation, but uh, still no excuse for the Celtics to leave this out there. Uh, but now that we have more information, a little bit more, it is quite apparent that Ime Udoka did more than just... Uh, have an affair with a woman uh, who he worked with. It's apparent that something much more serious was going on here. So anybody who early on was maybe defending Ime Udoka and focusing on him and not the woman involved, uh, I would suggest to change the narrative pretty quickly. So very interesting story that I've been following all week long, but a lot of other interesting things to get into here on episode 134 of the Sports Kiki podcast, as I mentioned, and why don't we start with the NBA, since Ime Udoka coaches the Celtics, of course, a nice transition here. Uh, last week, I spent some time on the show talking about Anthony Edwards, the Minnesota Timberwolves star, who uh, said a gay slur, an anti-gay insult. Uh, there was a group of shirtless men. He recorded a video of himself voicing it over. He called them queer-ass N-words. Uh, he then posted that video on his Instagram story and issued a very banal apology. The Minnesota Timberwolves issued a very banal statement. Neither statement mentioned gay people or the LGBTQ community. Well, this past week, the NBA finally levied a punishment on Edwards after about one week, and they fined him, drumroll please, $40,000 for his infraction. That's it. Uh, way lower and what they find other players for anti-gay slurs. Kobe Bryant was fined 100 grand in 2011 for calling a referee the F-word on the court. Uh, Rajon Rondo was suspended one game for calling Billy Kennedy an out-gay referee the F-word on the court. And I was reading a little bit more about that story this week in the, in, in, in the wake of Edwards' punishment. And yeah, Billy Kennedy came out as gay after Rondo called him the slur, which I forgot that detail at the time, but that's especially odious that Rajon Rondo probably knew he was gay 
called him the F word. Bad guy, bad move. Um, but yeah, Anthony Edwards calls a group of shirtless men, queer ass N words, posted on social media for his 1.2 million Instagram followers to see. And last week, as I said, we covered how his banal apology didn't mention gay people. He said he was raised better without mentioning what he did, just checking the boxes. And as I said last week, and as I say, every time these kinds of stories come up, great. You apologize, you get into self-flagulation. All right, that's so well and good. But how are you going to back up your words with actions? What are you actually going to do to make this right? And an NBA legend totally agreed with me. So let me give him some pub here on the show. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who writes a very thoughtful substack, uh, had a post a few days ago talking about Anthony Edwards' apology and why he thinks it falls short. This is what Kareem wrote on his substack. I don't think an apology, however heartfelt, is enough. Edwards needs to repair the damage with some voluntary community service with LGBTQ organizations particularly youth groups, to show his support. If he can't do that much to undo the harm he's caused, then his apology is meaningless. Amen, Kareem. Amen. Issuing an apology for using anti-gay language is perfunctory. It takes minimal effort to craft a statement expressing regret. It takes a lot more time to understand why using anti-gay language is wrong in the first place, which is what Anthony Edwards and anybody else in this situation should be doing if they're truly remorseful and truly want to make this right. And there are multiple examples of high-profile NBA players who have backed up their apologies for using homophobic language with tangible action. You go back to Kobe Bryant after that incident in 2011. He participated in public service campaigns for GLAAD, and became a staunch supporter of out LGBTQ athletes later in life, including Jason Collins, a staunch supporter of his girls and therefore raised into women's basketball as well. Kobe became a real ally after that incident in 2011. He changed for the better. NBA Hall of Famer Tim Hardaway, we reference that on the show all the time, uh, infamously declared that he hates gay people in a 2007 radio interview in the 15 years now since He's dedicated himself to promoting LGBTQ causes. He uh, signed a brief supporting same-sex marriage in Florida before really anybody else was doing that. Uh, He did an interview just a couple weeks ago before his Hall of Fame induction about how much regret he still has over those words. Anthony, uh, Tim Hardaway, rather, is somebody who's certainly done the work. And as a more contemporary example, 76ers forward Paul Reed was more than three dozen players whose homophobic tweets were exposed by us last spring before the playoffs, he issued a genuine apology about how his eyes have now been open to the struggles that the LGBTQ community faces every day. Specific, genuine, heartfelt, fine. So Anthony Edwards, if he wants some motivation, if he wants some examples to go off of, just look towards his peers. As I said, the NBA is filled with plenty of high-profile players who have made a similar mistake And then genuinely made an effort to correct that mistake and find out why their words are so harmful to members of the LGBTQ community. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right on the money. If Anthony Edwards wants to right this wrong, he has to put in the work. We'll see. I'm not holding my breath. I loved this story this week 
and it was a pleasure to write about it on OutSports. UMass Football, my father's alma mater, is hosting its Pride Day game against Liberty next month, October 8th. Liberty University, the evangelical school in Blacksburg, Virginia, of course discriminates against its LGBTQ students. At Liberty, the Code of Conduct forbids homosexual relations along with, quote, statements and behaviors that are associated with LGBT states of mind. In other words, Liberty is the perfect opponent to play on Pride Day. (laughs) And at least two college teams, including UMass, have hosted or will host them on the same day they happen to be celebrating their LGBTQ fans. What a coincidence! Yes, UMass is not the first. Northwestern field hockey did the same earlier this month, hosting Liberty on its Pride Day. Making that story even better, Northwestern field hockey defeated Liberty in the championships last season. So that's the equivalent of like the Red Sox making the Yankees watch them (laughs) receive their World Series rings, which they did in 2005. It was awesome. And that's a kind of similar thing to what Northwestern is doing with Liberty. Uh, It's important to note that Liberty's administrators and professors are different from its student body. The school's atavistic conduct code is not a reflection on the students. In fact, multiple black athletes, including two football players, have left Liberty in recent years, citing racial discrimination. So I'm not saying the students are the guilty party here, but the opportunity to throw gay pride in the face of that hypocrite Jerry Falwell Jr. and the school's cadre of anti-gay officials is just too good to pass up. And the fact that UMass's football team is hosting this game makes the gesture even cooler. As we know, football players are still lazily dogged with the perception they're not supportive of LGBTQ people, and the UMass Minutemen are showing that's not the case. So I love it. Talk about an A-plus masterful troll job hosting, (laughs) having your pride day on the same day that Liberty comes to your campus pretty damn cool. And now my question is, who's next? Who's going to follow in the footsteps of Northwestern field hockey and UMass football? We'll be watching. I hope to write another story. The last piece that I want to talk about here on the show this week, and full disclosure, I was hoping to have a guest who's a little more well-versed in this topic, but it didn't work out, but that's okay. I'll bloviate for a few minutes anyway. Uh, Of course, at OutSports, we cover LGBTQ sports and out-LGBTQ athletes, and that means we do a fair amount of women's basketball coverage and women's sports coverage in general, but women's basketball is uh, a game with a lot of uh, out-female, with a lot of out-players. The WNBA in particular uh, has many out-stars. The Las Vegas Aces, who just won the championship, have multiple out-gay players and an out-gay coach, Becky Hammond. Uh, They defeated the Connecticut Sun in the WNBA Finals, who also have multiple out gay players. There were at least eight, yes, at least eight out gay players in this year's WNBA Finals between the Sun and the Aces, and both head coaches, Becky Hammond and Kurt Miller, out gay people as well. And Kurt Miller, of course, has been a guest on this show in the past, so we can call him a good friend of the Sports Kiki podcast. Hope you're well, Kurt. Um... So I say that because this story in the Wall Street Journal caught my eye this week about 
the declining participation nationwide in girls basketball. Girls basketball has lost 19% of its players since 2002, while other girls sports have soared in popularity. Track and field has gained 10% of players since 2002. Volleyball's gained 15% over the last 20 years. Soccer has gained 27% over the last 20 years. Iowa, once a powerhouse in girls basketball at the high school level and youth level, has lost half of its players since the late 1990s. So why, and there are a myriad of other statistics said in the article that further prove that point. So why is this happening? Well, the article mentions a couple of reasons, and, you know, I think the biggest reason is fairly obvious to anybody who's attuned to youth sports in the current environment today, the AAU culture, if you will, where where kids growing up no longer play a different sport every season, especially if they're good. If they're good at a specific sport, oftentimes their parents have them just play that one, and they do AAU, they do travel teams, they do their high school team, of course, they do clinics, they do camps, and they focus on that one sport. And as a result, you have less, you have fewer multi-sport athletes. So, yeah, I think the AAU culture is definitely a big reason why we are seeing this significant decline in girls' basketball participation. But what I really want to talk about on the show is this more intangible, well, I guess it's all intangible, but this more cultural point that was brought to the table uh, by a few sources quoted in the article. I will quote Shelby Glebe. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She is a head coach at New Albany High School in Indiana, girls uh, varsity basketball, Shelby Glebe. And she says, in the age of Instagram and TikTok, basketball also suffers in comparison with sports perceived to be girlier. It's not a cute sport, said Glelby. And that is interesting to me. Obviously, I am not a girl, so I do not have a lot of firsthand experience, frankly, any firsthand experience when we're talking about girls basketball and the culture surrounding that. But I have covered it for two and a half years now, working as deputy managing editor here at OutSports. So I'm more familiar with that world now than I was prior to taking this this job. And, um, you know, I think that there is some truth to that. I think that, look, let's face it, the WNBA, and we even talked about this last week with Cherie Johnson, who uh, is the CEO of Strong Voices Television, the LGBTQ streaming source, uh, streaming service, a former college basketball and semi-pro basketball player herself. And she said the WNBA has that reputation of being the gay sport. It does. The gay sport for gay women. And our Sid Zeker has written about this a few times in the past. I think there is that perception out there. WNBA, gay league, thus girls basketball, gay sport. And that perception may chase some straight women from the game towards track and field or volleyball or soccer. Though soccer is interesting because, as we know, Megan Rapinoe is the most famous women's soccer player in the country, if not the world, and she is an out lesbian. Uh, The U.S. women's national team has multiple out lesbians on its roster. They used to say that Mia Hamm 
was the face, and she, of course, took off uh, her shirt. She had the sports bra, and she became kind of a sex symbol. But now, Megan Rapinoe, I would say, is the face of women's soccer here in the U.S. But soccer, the uniforms are a bit cuter, a bit tighter. Basketball, baggy tank tops, baggy shorts generally. Uh, So I think soccer more has that look. And for whatever reason, despite the fact that, as I mentioned, Megan Rapinoe and many players on the U.S. women's national team are out lesbians, um, soccer doesn't quite have that reputation that basketball does. So I do think there is something to this. I'd like to pursue it more in future episodes of the show, but it seems like the inverse is happening. Of course, in the world of male sports and male team sports in particular, we often talk about how gay men and gay boys, gay kids uh, don't stick with sports statistically like their straight counterparts do. And on the girl side of things, it seems to be the opposite where they're gay where gay girls stick with sports, maybe basketball, and straight girls don't as much because of that perception that's out there. And it was interesting to see this all all, uh, all come to light in terms of statistics. And we'll see where this goes going forward because Gen Z in general is far less sporty than the generations that came before it. They don't play sports at as high a clip, both girls and boys. Um... And they don't watch sports at nearly as high of a clip. So I do think it is very interesting to see where youth sports and sports popularity in general goes in the future. This is a long-term topic, but it was interesting. Why do you think that girls are leaving high school and youth basketball? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts because I think as, as, as uncomfortable as it may be to talk about, I do think that there is something to that perception that girls basketball is viewed as a quote-unquote gay sport and a tough sport, and it chases the quote-unquote prettier girls away. And I don't think that's right, obviously, but there is there is something to that perception that hopefully we can explore in a later episode. But I wanted to introduce the topic to you all here, the Sports Kiki, episode 134. As I was just saying, if you have any show comments or notes, please hit me up on Twitter. That's the best way to find me. At AlexRemer1 is my name. That, again, is at AlexRemer1. So long, everybody. We'll talk to you next Saturday.